another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Welcome to, I don't know, mid-October. That's a that's a very significant day for some reason. There we are. And also joining us, our best pal, Eric Van Allen. I like to call it half a ween. That's that's where we're <laughs> that's where we are. We're halfway to Halloween. Half a weenie. We're halfway there. Do do. We can't start singing again. (laughs) Slippery and Wet is the best album ever. I'm super sad that we didn't record all of us singing Bohemian Rhapsody really badly. (laughs) It was terrible. Hey, hey. It was really I thought it was good. It was one of the worst (laughs) things I've ever heard. It was great. No, trust me. I love it. I swear to God, I can hold a tune. I think it was because we were talking about this week's episode which is going to be all about the Ogre Battle series. This is a patron-sponsored podcast with Wah, who who did a $100 tier, paid good money to be on the show. So we're super excited to have Wah on the show. Thank you, Wah. You're very generous. Thank you, Wah. Keep the lights on. (laughs) All right. But in the meantime, we are going to be talking about all the news and what we've been playing and all of that good stuff. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. If you enjoy the show, please go and rate the show on the podcatcher of your choice. It brightens our day, it increases the visibility of the pod, and just, you know, it's really nice. It's a nice thing to do to it be is. able it's to hear from all of you. Be a good neighbor. Be a good neighbor. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And Eric is at CMOOSI, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And of course, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where you can get all of our bonus episodes, including our recent interview with Ray Chase, the Pantheon of the Blood God, which is coming up very soon, which is going to be all about Parasite Eve, and it's going to be our special guest, Jeremy Parrish. Oh, boy. Yeah, we got Parrish. I'm very excited. That Retronauts, Acts of the Blood God connection remains alive and well, and of course, all of our various specials over the years so much content y'all we make so much content we are we exist for the content mm-hmm. we produce the content it comes out of my mouth and every orifice in my body for you <laughs> Nadia. Oh. <laughs> i'm just saying gotta get it out there somehow <laughs> all right and on that note let's keep producing content and we'll start by talking about what we've been playing our sacrifices to the blood god eric what's your sacrifice this week I, I've gone full RPG sicko mode. I am so <laughs> yes, deep down yes. the rabbit hole of dungeon encounters. Uh, this this game is is something else. It is it is the hardest hit of RPG that one could find. It is for for those who are not aware. This we talked about it on on Blood God prior, yeah. but it is from Hiroyuki Ito. Is from Square Enix. It is uh, not like budget, but like half price RPG that is very minimalist. It yes. is very barren in a way. It uh, is concentrated RPG, mm-hmm. like condensed milk. Like Hiroyuki Ito said, I want to make a good battle system. And Square was like, cool, what story and art are you going to put with it? And he was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what story? Art? <laughs> but here's the thing. What's there is all just serving in function of that. And I think to that end, it it works for it because it wants you to just be focused in on the systems that are at play, which are diving deeper, 
into the caverns, into the dungeon, uh, exploring, dealing with your different party members, optimizing your party, adapting it to different encounters. There's a lot of really interesting nuance. So for those who who are not aware, uh, this is a minimalist style RPG that starts out by saying like there's this massive dungeon that's opened up and all these heroes from around the land have gathered to dive down into the depths of it and find out what's there. And the funniest part is this is probably the most story you get in the game. It's just in one text window at the beginning and it gives you a dialogue prompt that's like, do you wish to embark on this journey? It's like, yes or no. And if you hit no, it just bumps you back to the title screen. It's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) More games. Go back over there, wiener. It does. It does two things I love about video games. One, it does that where it's like, if you say no, it's like, okay, cool. Peace. Come back when you want to do this then. And two, it has a demo when when you leave it idling at oh, the main screen. Oh, the track screen. Yeah. Yeah, the track screen, yeah. It's I I didn't notice it at first cuz I was just leaving it over here on on my other monitor on my Switch and I looked over and I was like, "Oh no, I'm Joy-Con drifting again." I was like, "Wait, I got out <laughs> of the game. What am I doing?" And it's just sitting there running through like an attract mode style thing. I haven't seen that in so long. And it is so underrated as like just a cool thing to have. It takes me right back to uh, how like what are your earliest memories, Eric? Were you like there for when the PlayStation was? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good, good. PlayStation was probably the first console that I could call my own. Like it was in my room and I was the one who specifically used it. So. Um, yeah, that and yeah. the Game Boy were like my earliest ones. But I mean, from a young age, my dad was uh, a hardcore gamer as well. He competed in Quake tournaments and stuff. I love that. Holy crap. So uh, I was raised on on this stuff to some extent. But so you remember when like PlayStation games had those attract modes? Oh, and yeah. Merchants before GameStop became a homogenized blob of nothingness. Mm-hmm would independent merchants would put like attract modes like on their CRT television mm-hmm. put them against the window and be like, wow, anime and video games, what an age we live in. And it, it's such a cool thing because now you go into GameStop and, you know, like n- no, no disrespect to the folks who are working hard making content over there. But now you kind of have these like made for GameStop yeah, shows that air and stuff like that. They play trailers in there. Yeah. But I really do miss the attract mode days because it was just a way to look at a thing and kind of get engrossed in it. I think it works yeah. to, for Dungeon Encounters because this is a game that kind of slowly draws you in. There's like a hypnotic cadence to the way that you just kind of so back to how the game works. Uh, you you want to like chart out the map of each floor as you go down. And so you literally have to just walk across all the tiles. It's like you're checking off a box uh, or checking off you know, boxes on a list. Yeah. And once once you've done that you know you've cleared the floor there you don't have to clear the floor to go to the next level and in fact at some levels as as you know you will learn it is better to move around a little bit and go up and down some of them i found you would have to go up a floor and then use an ability called dissension to drop down to access a place that's not accessible on that floor normally and there's like really cool things at play there. And also all the battles and events are labeled in like a hexadecimal system. And you have a compendium that grows over time that teaches you, okay, if I see, you know, it's not just saying, oh, battle zero D, that means that like there's a battle here. It means that it's going to draw from a pool of this hexadecimal set. So I can have an idea of what's going to show up here and I can prepare my party accordingly. It's so, and the battles themselves, very simple at the outset. It's an ATB battle system, but uh, every character has like 
physical defense, magical defense, and their HP. And you have to break through somebody's defense before you can start hurting their HP. So if you want to do magic damage to somebody, you got to break their magic shield, and then you can start hitting their HP with a magic attack. But if you break their physical shield, you still have to break their magical shield to hit their HP with a magic attack. You know, it's kind of... That sounds you know, like I'd love to hate it. It's It's so, like, functionally, it seems very simple... But in practice, the way that Ito's team starts to toy with these rules, starts to change expectations, starts to mix and match different versions of these enemies to get you to think differently about the things you're doing. There, there are so many little nuances and and bits that you can start to play with that it's it's a really interesting RPG. It feels like the proof of concept for a future full budget rpg like like they basically yeah, went out and yeah. said we're going to make a game that proves that the atb system like the t- quote, quote unquote quasi turn-based atb system can still work in rpgs and be really interesting and innovative even after all the times we've done it before this is our proof of concept it's a cool neat almost tech demo type thing and it works. I'm really enjoying my time with it. It's it's got that like slay the spire feel of you can just pick it up and play. It lets you yeah. save and quit at any time, and it's it's like very conducive to casual play. Honestly, I might give it a try. I actually, it, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Ito because he, of course, is famous for doing the Final Fantasy IV uh, ATB first and foremost. And then you mentioned the way you clear the map in Final Fantasy IV 3D Remake you get a rewards for clearing each map the same way. And I wonder if he had a hand in that. I don't know how much of a hand he had in the remake, but it just seems like, okay, that's something he seems to value that he wants to do. So maybe he wanted to do it for the original Final Fantasy IV and he couldn't, so we revisited the concept in 3D. It's it's such a refreshing thing to see. And also, like I've seen some weird comments. There are a lot of people who are turning their noses up at this just because of the look, and I think that's a bit weird because... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's not like they're putting on you know pretension about what this is like they're they're Mm -hmm. straight up like this is a minimalist style rpg we we did this very deliberately it's not like we just quote unquote didn't have budget or whatever there's no metaphors here it's just yeah (laughs) this is the intent behind it and uh but also like i've seen some weird comments they're like oh i can't believe this is what they give ito after being at this company for so long that's what he wants that's exactly what he wants yeah this dude is clearly enjoying what he's doing this like it's (laughs) give me numbers and squares and hexadecimals this game reflects the mind and design of someone who is passionate about rpg creation and someone who has interesting ideas and somebody who likes to create things that will make the player like think differently that will make the player you know not just be faced with a problem and then know the correct solution but then know how to adapt that solution to different circumstances and apply themselves like i i always think a game is really well designed when i'm being presented with so many different problem sets that come from a very simple set of tools you know it gives you language to work with something and you have to use that language to try and solve what the game is presenting you and I can just see like a hand moving and, and all these parts like perfectly placing these RPG encounters that it, it feels very crafted. It feels very smartly done. Like there was somebody putting a lot of thought into every aspect of this game. Like it really comes through in playing this. So 
I'd say, yes, if you are somebody that wants a big, gaudy, like big pre- presentation RPG, you're going to have those this year. This is not for you. Like you want a Tales of Arise. You want a Shin Megami Tensei. Like that's way more your speed. But if you're somebody who likes battle systems and you want to see something out of the norm, or if you've ever lamented like, oh, RPGs are stale or whatever, try this. It's it's doing a lot for me. And honestly, like it's not my, you know, quote unquote game of the year or anything like that. But it's definitely one of the things I'm glad I made time for this year. I might give it a try then. So yeah, that's that's me going full sicko mode. This is me realizing <laughs> that I love just like granular RPGs, just the most in-depth, like Get, get all that like fancy presentation away from me just give me like a real in-depth crunchy battle system like world of horror did the same thing to me where i was like oh there's so much going on here and i love all of it so it actually kind of segues a bit into what i'm playing which is uh well first of all i finished metroid dread and how, how was it how'd you like i loved that game so much like and it's funny because i've been on here saying how oh i don't really like battle metroidvania so more into the exploration metroidvanias so i will say that super metroid does edge it out just a bit for me because it has that real haunting sense of exploration to it that i think hasn't really been duplicated since prime and dread is a lot more kind of by the numbers facilities and you know biomes and environments and it's a lot more about combat than enjoying or understanding the world around you and but here's the thing the combat is so good it feels so awesome. Like I love, I've always loved uh, their um, their retort system. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never had a problem with that. I've always adored it. So they use it a lot more cleverly in Dread versus Samus Returns. Like small enemies, you can just waste away with your your arm cannon, no big deal. But the bigger ones, a lot of them require you to counter, and especially the bosses. But if you counter properly, you get these like amazing half cutscene, half quick time events where Samus is just like stuffing her arm cannon down a, a monster's mm-hmm. throat and mm-hmm. blasting him with like ice missiles. It's so, so amazing. I don't want anyone to spoil it for you, but there was like a story twist that like made me go boop, like my head just exploded mm-hmm. very in a very small explosion. But uh, it makes me wonder what's coming next for Metroid. And I got to say, uh, with the way the reviews have gone, the sales have gone, I think that Metroid will finally get its due after many, many years of half obscurity. The answer but, is Metroid Prime 4. Yeah. That is true, yeah. which will hopefully yeah. be great because the original Metroid Prime is still fantastic. I am also playing, finally, Deltarune. I finally got... Yeah. I saw you playing it. I saw you playing it on Switch the, uh, yeah. this morning, actually. <laughs> Did I play it this morning? Oh, I was probably yeah. up at like uh, ass o'clock at night because I always am. <laughs> I was like, Nadia, are you going to finish the notes? And you're like, yeah, yeah, hold on. And then I see... Nadia is playing Delta Room. Like, <laughs> Man, consoles just tattle these days, don't they? Mm-hmm. They sure do. Get a cap in their ass. They're not careful. I'm watching you. <laughs> Your console's narking on you. Well, you can't do anything because you're not the editor. You're not my editor anymore. I mean, you're my partner and my friend, but you're not my editor. You're not so my supervisor. <laughs> I'm, Nadia. Nadia I'm in charge. Here. I'm in charge of you forever. I am Probably. watching. <laughs> oh yeah, Cat stays your boss. I've learned this too. Like Cat stays your boss even after, she does. after you don't work for her anymore. She stays your boss. Yeah, I have a lot of friends like that where they were like I'm my boss, but they're still kind of like my. I still feel like they're my boss. You know, they're my friend. And Cat's definitely one of those. What do you think of Delta Ruin episode four? Episode four. Oh, episode two. I haven't gotten too Got far into scoops. it yet. I'm living in the future. Well, it'll happen. Like, there's supposed to be, what, like, eight episodes or seven episodes, something like that? Yeah. I thought it so, said episode four. Why did I think it said episode four? Uh, episode that, that's two. a new hope. That's uh, uh, a <laughs> new hope. 
What do you no, think of so episode so two? So far, so good. I haven't gotten too far into it, but it's very cute and funny the way the first one was. The graphics are a lot better than the first uh, episode and, and Undertale, to be honest with you. I will say, like, once you once you have played through this one, because you're probably going to play through it the normal way. Um, yeah. I, I would tell you to look up what the Snowgrave route is, because... Ah. Chapter so chapter one of Deltarune, which you've already played, um, that, yeah. is it, it there is the idea of pacifist versus killing monsters, and they they don't really go anywhere with it. Uh, it there, yeah, you know, it's not like Undertale where it leads to drastically different endings. Yeah, and I left that one. Uh, I, I wrote about this a while back. I left that one like tr- feeling like I didn't know what they were going to do with any of that, and if they were going to kind of mess with that stuff again. Uh, chapter two has a route called Snowgrave. Uh, that is, it is the quote unquote, no mercy route in that game, but the way you do it is very different. And the, the way it happens and the way it plays out honestly gave me a lot of hope for Delta rune moving forward that I didn't have before, because I think it just kind of ties all of what Toby is envisioning for this together in a way that's, that's really, really interesting. Uh, the team dynamics and the fact that you're not just playing one character, you're playing multiple characters and also the world set up where you have this dream world and the real world and all that. Uh, I think it ties that all together very, very well. So look up Snowgrave once you're done and kind of, you don't need to play it because it's also like, it's, it's not just, you know, you make different choices, but it's basically branches majorly after a certain boss fight. And it's very, very different. Uh, and it it takes a while to do as well because you have to do the the no mercy thing as well. So uh, it, it's worth looking up to see what the differences are. It's it's really shocking. It's it's really incredible. No, I definitely will because yeah, I plan to just kind of do it my way the first time. It probably mm-hmm. end up at some neutral ending, and then that's when I look into okay, how can I screw with this now? And mm-hmm. uh, to this day, like I've said on this podcast before, I've never done the genocide ending in Undertale. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Plus, mm-hmm. I sucked. Uh, I didn't get past Undying. It I, is really tough. It is tough. Like. Have you ever looked up? I'm sure you've looked up like no hit runs of the Sans fight. Like, oh yeah, yeah. What the hell is wrong with you people? That is crazy. I love it. I've never, I've never finished it myself. I've started no. it, but I've never been able to finish it myself. Like, I, I think people underplay how difficult Undertale is. Undertale is a difficult RPG. It's not like unnecessarily difficult, but it is challenging in a way that a lot of games aren't. It, it really leans into some of the bullet hell stuff and some of the mechanics that you have to just learn through dying. Oh, the same as Metroid Dread. Yes. Hey, we circled back. Yeah, around. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's so I I don't think some of the, some of the fights in in Delta Rune are definitely difficult. I think the most difficult ones are in the Snowgrave and in the secret bosses that you can find. So mm-hmm, you will mm-hmm. probably be okay. They do some great stuff with the boss fights in this one, though. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I probably will. Yeah, I never beat Jevil in the in chapter one. I don't know if you did. I yeah, I don't think I ever went back to do that. Um, Music's great, but yeah, yeah, it's it's really something else. Uh, chapter two really both like gave me a lot of faith for this moving forward, mm. and also, uh, I don't know if I'm going to play three, four, and five when they come out because i think that's really? the next batch that's supposed to come and i think i yeah. want to wait for the whole thing to be finished uh, same as Baldur's gate like that makes sense i i have hit the point now where i'm like okay i know what this thing is and i just want to experience the final thing once it's all done so but i'll probably sense, break yeah. that anyways and do it anyways because yeah yeah because who knows with, about the timing with all of mm-hmm. this 
Kat, what have you been playing? What have I been playing? Indeed. I Wow, you two vibe so well. Like I feel like uh, I can just <laughs> sit and Y'all drop. Are relaxed now. I was literally sitting and discoursing on Twitter while y'all were talking. <laughs> can't believe you're you, you just log off cat don't tweet he says as he opens twitter on his own phone <laughs> i have so many ty- takes about content in in nintendo and how nintendo supports its games i had a thread going literally as y'all were talking <laughs> i can't i can't believe you're threading at a time like this <laughs> we live in a we live in a cursed future <laughs> we are twitter makes villains of us all it does like, it honestly does i am and now, i can't stop I am now enemy number one on the Legend of Dragoon uh, subreddit. Oh no, Heck am I yeah. am I a target too? Oh, yeah. association? Oh no, it's me. It's just me. Somebody found my Legend of Dragoon take on Twitter, and they they mad. Uh oh. Uh oh. And here's the thing that that take came from a bad and evil place because I I was seriously subtweeting somebody who was speaking about Legend of Dragoon from a place of love. And mm-hmm. truly, whoever the blood god's darkest enemy was in my heart, because I should never be punching down on somebody who is showing true and genuine love for an RPG. Absolutely not. But I was briefly possessed, and I went and subtweeted about how much I dislike Legend of Dragoon. And it just goes to show that Twitter makes villains of us all. I apologize. That was really mean. But also, I have discourse brain. I can't stop. Yeah, this is a Twitter's a very bad invention for those of us who can't shut up. No, it's true. And I truly I remember my parents telling me once, God cat, you're seriously, like you're gonna get in so much trouble because you seriously cannot stop talking. And it's true. Mm-hmm. It is true. Okay, so here's what I've been playing. For the past two years, I've been playing Super Robot Wars T, a game that I've complained about a few times on this <laughs> yes. podcast. And have said, I am burned out in this game. I don't want to play this game anymore. But I'm four missions away. I'm more than 40 hours in. I'm going to finish this game. It's it's happening. I'm going to get through it. I don't know why. It's a mid-tier Super Robot Wars game at best. It rehashes a lot of content that I've enjoyed in other games to this point. But... I'm just bound and determined to get this done before Super Robot Wars 30. And the question that I pose to you all is, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Why can't that, I just put this away? You have what I'm calling uh, Nino Kuni 2 syndrome, because I had the same mm. thing where I just kept playing this somewhat mediocre RPG that just would not let me go. And I just finished it. And I said to myself, why did I do that? And yet I'm glad I did. I don't understand. Mm. It's like Super Robot Wars T by SRW measures, pretty easy, like almost mm-hmm. mindlessly easy. It is ridiculous how overpowered you can quickly become in that game. And it is so promising because it has Harlock and Cowboy Bebop and yeah. Magic Knight Ray Earth. And I'm like, I am into all of these things. Mm-hmm. But Cowboy Bebop in particular is so criminally underused that it actively mm. makes me angry at how underused cowboy bebop is like they have maybe one mission that is actually devoted to cowboy bebop Mm. yeah occasionally spike will charm in chime in maybe maybe the only thing that i keep forgetting that cowboy bebop is even in the game until i use the swordfish which admittedly the combat animations in that were really good 
There are two reasons to play Super Robot Wars T. One is you've never played a Super Robot Wars game. This is all brand new to you. Then it's a very easy and accessible and inviting and fairly pretty. And it's in English. It's on Switch. It, by and large, like it's fine. There are tons of secrets to open up, uh, unlockables to get. I'm into that. The other reason to play Super Robot Wars T is if you really are shipping Haman and Char in uh, mm. Gundam Double Zeta, okay. then you have so much Haman and Char. And I speak as somebody who does, in fact, ship Haman and Char. So, well, okay, maybe not those two characters. I like those two characters separately, but I don't I want them kissing or anything. I am never, ever, ever going to get over the name Haman. That, to me, is just so messed up. Haman Karn, she's great. Best, uh, best uh, character. I'm from a, a religion where we have a uh, we have a holiday where we're actually ordered to get as drunk as possible and curse Haman's name, and it's just no. It, it's the funniest thing to me. Don't curse Haman's name; she's terrific. Uh, <laughs> but she tried to kill all the Jews in Persia. Well, he. I don't mm. know. Okay. Well, I apologize for that. But <laughs> oh no, no. I think it's I think it's hilarious. Don't get me wrong. I love it when Japan does this shit. Like I don't know if you remember for U.S. Gamer, I wrote that uh, story about the, the Suikoden side story. I can't Genso Suikoden. I think it was called. And you had the character Nash, whose last name was Lutka. And I mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't get over that. It it was the greatest thing I ever wrote in my life. The last name he had his last name was Lutka. You understand? <laughs> you understand why this is so amazing. I, as an Evangelion viewer, cannot begin to comprehend how Japanese creators could ever use religious <laughs> visual stuff and, and names and all that. How could they I possibly? Love <laughs> I love it. It's so amazing. Oh, anyway, that was my rant about Haman. Blessed be Mordechai, cursed be Haman. There. <laughs> the thing with the Haman and Char stuff is, as good as it is, it doesn't pop up until like Mission 40. So you got a lot to get through before you actually get to that point. And, you know, it's good and everything, but also I've kind of done it in a lot of other Super Robot Wars games. So it's not extremely new to me. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, like, okay, I've got like all the secrets. I got the good path to the ending. I've got Haman and Char on my team with Mashima. And I'm happy. And like... Now the game is kind of rolling toward the end, and I'm like, I'm just, I'm willing to just keep going through with this. I think Magic Knight Rayearth is actually probably the MVP of this particular game, believe mm. uh, surprisingly, that or Harlock. But I don't know. Like, I've spent 40 hours on this game over the course of two years, and it's kind of the same game that I've played almost a dozen times <laughs> yeah. over the years. That makes and sense. I don't know what my problem is. I seriously don't. It's the same with, I'm I'm not going to say the word just because I don't want somebody to, uh, I'm not going to give the person the satisfaction for me bringing it up <laughs> another episode in a row. <laughs> it's like that other game that I've been known to play sometimes. <laughs> the cursed game. That, the cursed that game. That must be not, not Whose name I will not mention. <laughs> well, is this your breaking point then? Is this the, is this the straw that broke the back of, Hell no, of Super Eric, Robot Wars? I'm getting Super Robot Wars 30. I pre-ordered the <laughs> premium sound version. I've got it pre-ordered. It's downloading on Steam. I'm going to play through all of that, too, because it has Victory Gundam in it. God damn it. it, it We're it all does suckers have for at least Gundam. one genre. I, I played a match of Dota the other night. Look, we all have Uh-oh. our weaknesses. <laughs> we we really do. do. We really do. So, yes, that is what I've been playing. Also, Metroid Dread, which is a very good game. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it is. I'm getting close-ish to the end so you mentioned you have the gravity suit so you're halfway to 75 percent, somewhere in between there 
You're yeah, getting there. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting quite close. I can really move around at a, yeah. a good pace. It feels so good. God, the controls mm-hmm. in that game are the incredible. Are just amazing. Just oh, I love the way it feels. All the combat Ugh. is just brilliant. Yeah, it just really goes to show like a game that has just the tightest controls is it's truly magical, you know. Yeah. All right, let's continue on to the news, top news. Oh my god, I was dancing around and actively freaking out while I was seeing the trailer for this. Eric Concerned Ape Barone has a new game coming out. It's called Haunted Chocolatier. It's Stardew Valley-ish. Uh Barone called it the the moon to Stardew Valley's sun. He said Stardew yeah. Valley yeah. is kind of, you know, grounded or down to earth, I suppose. Um Whereas this one is going to be more fantastical and filled with ghosts and haunted chocolate. And I'm like, man, it started Valley's ground down to earth. I want to know where the heck is going to go with this because I mean, Stardew Valley does have a wizard's tower, a literal witch that will turn your kids into pigeon or into doves and a sewer with like a kind of a creepy creature in it. Yeah. There's like, like go dungeon crawling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there will be more of an action RPG focus, which I'm kind of excited about. Maybe going in more of a ruin factory direction. And we can say, hey, this is an RPG. We can put it in the Pantheon. But I, I think Stardew Valley is kind of close enough to being an RPG that I'm willing I to think so. I, like Stardew Valley gives you... There's a lot of combat in Stardew Valley, and I think that's why I'm excited for Haunted Chocolatea is because I like the combat in in Stardew Valley, even though it feels a bit loosey-goosey, there's something compelling about it. And I'm always a sucker for crafting games and selling games and merchant games. Like, I love the whole Taloon thing in Dragon Quest IV, which is what kind of started all of that. So getting into that feedback loop in a Stardew Valley uh, universe is perfectly fine with me. Well, Stardew Valley-ish universe. He won't say if it's connected or not. So I'm looking forward to that. I've already picked out who I'm going to romance. It's going to be Jet. Big surprise. I I romanced Sebastian the first time around, so of course I'm going for the, the skinny goth. You would. I did. I forget. Um, what was the opposite number um, for that particular character in Stardew Valley? Because I, uh, Abigail, was that her? Yeah. Because I ended up yeah, marrying she her. Was like the, yeah. The, she, she was the one who eats rocks and she is conceived by the wizard. She's like 18. And so apparently I'm like Char and I have a bit of a Lolita complex or something. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I don't know how old Sebastian is. All I know is he smoked a lot of weed. So I'm hoping he's. Sebastian's great. I love mm-hmm. getting Sebastian's to know Sebastian. <laughs> Do you remember I streamed the game for US Gamer years and years ago and I encountered a bug where Sebastian had been smoking weed all day and he was in bed and the cat was beside him and I was basically blocked in. I couldn't get to my bed because Sebastian and the cat were blocking me. So I had to sit there like an idiot until five in the morning where I, I fainted and <laughs> and you know I had to wait for the game to reset. And I was just yelling at the cat the whole time. They say life imitates art, but art can also truly imitate life, you know? <laughs> it really can. Uh, yeah, this this sounds so good. Like, if, if you sat me down and told me, how do you want to follow up Stardew Valley? I would not be able to come up with this. And yeah. yet the second I heard it, I was like, yeah, yeah, yes, to everything that's being said here. And if this can, you know, Stardew Valley resurrected the farming sim right now even animal crossing is going like oh we should probably have farming in our game yeah and uh if if haunted chocolatier can do that for the shop sim so games like uh the highly underrated reciteer item shop tale and and moonlighter and stuff like that if, if it can do the same thing for for this like i am so into it and i love the idea of it being 
not just you know oh you go out and you find dungeon items and sell them to adventurers like so many of these are but no you're just making chocolate like that's that's such a good twist such a smart twist because it's something that's so like narrow focus but could expand out so fast and yeah it's everything about this is a very smart choice i think and also barone has been saying it's still in development. There's like no release date on this yeah, thing. Not yet. Uh, and, and he was even saying in his blog post that went up about this, uh, it's evolving organically. Like the, the selling chocolate thing is really the only thing he wants to talk about right now, because this game is still very much in development and mm-hmm. evolving as he creates it. So are we going to see it soon? I wouldn't like hold breath on it, no, but at the same so. time, like, dude you made stardew valley take some time do what you want to do and and show up when you're ready and there will be i mean people were going wild on social media for it i think it was just a really good sign of like what stardew was to so many people it's more stardew valley but it's in a yeah you know it's in a town a magical town with haunted mm-hmm. chocolate i mean come on of course everybody's gonna go wild for it do i want to sell chocolate to ghosts yes i do i would yeah, like I to do that very much i want to go to a dungeon you know and you find a rat corpse and you're like let's make this into chocolate and you make rat chocolate yeah you get like some weird goo monster and you kill the goo monster it becomes the the filling for your like milky way bar or whatever it'd be great <laughs> That's so disgusting. Yeah, as for as for Barone himself, you know, some people just like making games. You know, like yeah. uh-huh. one of no, the stories good. I heard about Sid Meier was that Sid Meier would basically just go in his room and be in there for like a week, and then he'd come out with a game, mm-hmm. and people would be like, "All right, Sid Meier right. made a game. Let's just uh, polish it up and make it nice, and we got something good." Some people are just brilliant that way. He's working alone again. Yeah, yeah. Some people are just like that, and you know, Eric Barone. Um, Everything I've heard about the guy is that he's just always noodling away. Like, it seems like he it makes him happy to create this stuff. So yeah, good for him. And you know what? He's it makes me happy it. to play it because holy cow, do I love Stardew Valley. Good symbiotic re- relationship going on there. One of the instances where more content isn't toxic because it comes out at a nice cadence, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like once a year, we'll just get a really nice content drop for Stardew Valley and then we all go back to it. I uh, I'm planning on picking it up again in January, probably playing some more yeah, co-op with it. I find it's a it's a good, a very good winter game. I always seem to Absolutely. go back in winter. Not coming out anytime soon. Uh, I think 2023 at the earliest. Uh, yeah, he that's said, yeah. He said the meat and potatoes are done, but it's time. He needs to make a lot of the actual content. So and there'll probably be an early access release. Kind of like I think there was an early access release for Star- Stardew Valley there was, as well. Yeah. So. Okay, continuing onward, we have a bunch of delays, y'all, because it is that time of the year. First, next-gen versions of Cyberpunk and Witcher 3 have been delayed. Uh, Cyberpunk will be in Q1 of 2022. Witcher 3 will be Q2 of 2022. Kind of ruins my holiday plans because I was really looking forward to playing through uh, Blood and Wine, finally, with the Witcher 3 expansion. Mm. Statement from CD Projekt says, the management board of the company hereby announces that based on recommendations supplied by persons supervising development, it has decided to allocate additional time to both projects. Did CD Projekt Red learn a lesson from Cyberpunk's disastrous legacy? Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. CD Projekt always puts out... uh, I I think Witcher 3 was actually kind of in rough shape when it initially came out as well. Not as bad as cyberpunk which was a mess mm-hmm. but kind of rough and the thing was cd project is you know they've stuck sticking with it like apparently on a high-end computer cyberpunk 
a friend of mine uh, whose opinion I trust said on a high-end PC right now, Cyberpunk is, quote, kind of astonishing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, he, he thinks that it'll be quite popular when it gets its next-gen upgrade and all of its fixes and its expansion. And that's been my takeaway for quite a while now. I was like, eh, I think I'll enjoy Cyberpunk when I actually play it. But as for now, I'm just going to put it aside and wait for it to actually get good. Because yeah, what we got yeah. was almost like an alpha. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've said many times before about how they should have focused on the next gen and left behind the old stuff, but that would have hurt them in the short term, but it would have benefited them in the long term. So they're going to, they are learning, but they're taking the long way around because they got to. Yeah. Like the, the genie's out of the bottle now, right? You can't, you can't put cyberpunk, you know, you can't do, no. what, what was the game that they unreleased? The, the Amazon game that like released and then went oh. back into beta? crucible i think um, yeah yeah like like cd project can't do that it's it's too public and i mean you've heard i i've heard stories behind the scenes of from from pr folks and stuff like that of them not wanting to be the next cyberpunk and things like that mm-hmm. so they it's it's become that thing but at the same time you know i think them delaying is at least a a sign of understanding that they need to get it right when they do make a big deal about it. And that's at least a little bit more confidence inspiring for me. It's also weird that the next gen Witcher stuff is getting tied up in this as well, because now you don't want those to become too intertwined because the Witcher is the goose that lays the golden eggs right now, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) uh, especially with another Netflix season on the way soon, which I imagine they were probably wanting to, hit the next gen update for in time is kind of a bummer that they won't be able to sync that up. But I think if they released another Witcher and it was jank, even in the slightest that it would just be like, it's going to sink a lot of goodwill. Exactly. That would be the end of a lot of goodwill and they don't want to take that risk. Yeah. So it's, they, they had a tough time with, with a game that was in development for a very, very long time. And, you know, as, as reports came out, uh, showed that it was a very troubled development as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, they need to earn some goodwill back. And, and and even if, you know, going back to cyberpunk, I don't know if I will, because I think even when I was playing that game and it was quote unquote working properly and not having, um, my Pan Am companion fly out of the car for no reason and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, even, even when it was not doing that, it was still to me kind of just, okay, they made an open world first person RPG, but it kind of just felt like it stopped there. and wasn't doing anything that was too over the top or, or interesting. Um, I didn't like the story much either. I don't, it's, it's just not my cup of tea, which is weird. Cause I love cyberpunk stuff. Uh, but it's also a very different kind of cyberpunk. Uh, the Witcher, the Witcher next gen stuff, I think is going to be a much bigger deal. Lots of people are going to play that game again. Lots of people played that game again when the Witcher Netflix series came out. So, yeah. uh, I, I'm also not surprised that that's the one they're, they're pushing back a little bit more and really want to make sure that they hit on because it's the Witcher. Like that's still one of the biggest games of the last console generation. One of the best games of the past decade, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. The Kingdom Hearts creator still undecided on native Switch ports, apparently. Uh, it sounds like behind the scenes there were some technical problems trying to get the Kingdom Hearts ports natively onto the Switch. And so they were just like, ah, oh, screw it. Let's go with the cloud version. Fun cloud. <laughs> I don't know if the cloud versions are actually bad. I'm sure that there's going to be some like input delay and that kind of thing. But 
the fact of the matter is the Nintendo Switch hardware is actually getting fairly long in the twos. So mm-hmm. yeah. I kind of credit them for wanting to have just the best possible version and that kind of thing. But also I can understand why people might find, uh, you know, the cloud version kind of disappointing. I have played, like when I reviewed uh, Tales of Arise, or rather previewed it, I had a, a cloud version of the game and it worked just fine. But you can't say it's going to happen for sure with the with the Kingdom Hearts stuff. So I don't know. I, I understand people's disappointment. I, I also understand Square Enix's point of view. It's just if I stream something, it's weird. Even though I pay for it, I don't feel like I own it. But that's mm. kind of an increasing feeling these days. Yeah. Well, you don't get to own any of your content, Nadia. Not I anymore. Content owns you. It's also a weird situation with the Switch specifically because the Switch is a portable system, right? Like the appeal of the Switch is being able to take it off the dock and and go on the go and still have that experience. And cloud is kind of a weird thing with that because it does enable the Switch to have some more graphical power, but then you lose what, you know, what is one of the main appeals, which is that sort of lift off and go because i can't just pick my switch up and walk out onto the street and start playing a cloud game out there because my wi-fi doesn't reach to the street and like i don't know did we ever do that thing that we had talked about at usg where we were gonna have mike go to a starbucks or something yes, and play stadia, stadia. Yeah. oh that's you right they're yeah. farming you know stadia is actually licensing out its tech now really that was a great experiment yeah. thanks guys thanks for your at and AT&T now has a deal where if you join up, you can stream uh, Arkham Gotham Knight or whatever. Wow. Arkham Knight, whatever they call it. <laughs> that Batman game. Oh, the bat. OK, I was like <laughs> Gotham Knights. That one's not out. Uh-huh. yet. But, <laughs> you know, what are the one of the hundred million Batman games? You can stream it the using Bat-Ams. basically stadiums, Stadia's tech onto your phone. For wow. Free. We live in the future, folks. I'm too old for this shit. All right. And finally. <laughs> People Make Games, which is an amazing YouTube channel run by one of our old pals, Chris Bratt from Eurogamer, did a video interviewing former Bioware devs about the Mass Effect 3 ending controversy. It's really good. It's heartbreaking to hear about what they went through, but also ultimately unsurprising that it sucked for everyone and led to more crunch. And it has a nice little note about it, opening the Pandora's box slash connecting it to the more recent boyfriend dungeon mess. Eric, you're Mr. Mass Effect. What were your feelings and emotions seeing this almost 10 years later, 10 years after all of that Mass Effect 3 ending discourse? Yeah, so I am I wouldn't say I'm a Mass Effect 3 ending defender, but I do think that a lot of the reactions to it are overblown. And and I think that the video does a really good job because it's uh, one major thing about this video is it's not necessarily unknown that there was a lot of unrest. There was obviously the very public petitions and things like that. There were uh, movements spurred on even by folks within the media that were would look very strange nowadays, let's just say. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a weird thing that did kind of open a Pandora's box in terms of how much you know, interaction is there between the storyteller and the audience, you know, and, and how much of a role should there be? And the cool thing about this is that people make games got former Bioware devs on camera talking about it and a good, a good mix of them too, from all different practices within the company. Uh, And it was really interesting because they all had very different opinions on it. 
Uh, some people liked the ending. Some people didn't like the ending. And in the same vein, some people wanted it quote unquote fixed and other people didn't want it quote unquote fixed. And they're really just interesting notes in there about, you know, how the ending came to be and specific parts of it. Like, I think one of the very valid criticisms about the ending is that the, the cutscenes kind of play out the same, no matter what you choose. And that led to a lot of people having these feelings of disappointment, even though you were choosing three very different outcomes of a universe, you were seeing very similar cutscenes play out after you chose them. And that kind of rubbed people the wrong way, led to a lot of that, like, Oh, it's three different colors sort of situation. Um, there are some good bits in there about how that ended up happening. And I think a lot of it also ties into the reporting that's been done about Bioware's studio culture at the time, the way that they pump these games out and how fast they pump them out and what the development process and design process for them was. I think there's a lot of good, interesting stuff in there. Uh, but the the big thing that really does tie forward is is what they mentioned at the beginning of the video, which is the boyfriend dungeon controversy we had earlier this year, where there's a character who's a blonde named Eric, and I'll try not to take that personally. <laughs> uh, who is who is like a stalker, and and he's he's the antagonist of the game, and the whole idea is that he is like a toxic relationship to the main character. And it really drives this idea of what are relationships to your character. It's very central to the actual story of the game. And on one hand, people thought that the content warning at the beginning of the game, which did exist from the get go, did not adequately right. warn people of that. I think that's a valid concern. I think that's fair and understandable. And I think there's interesting discussions to be had about <laughs> how in-depth the content warning should be. I don't begrudge be. them for putting that stuff in honestly mm. but also and they had a content warning whatever yeah but mm -hmm. at the same time i actually noped out of the game um, yeah when i got to that part because it made me so uncomfortable because mm -hmm. i've dealt i've dealt with that stuff all basically everyone yeah. has you yeah. know and, and yeah. that's a content warning working that is mm -hmm. a content warning yeah. doing its job so you have that on one hand i think all of that is very valid and on the other hand you have this idea of people saying oh, well, you should just be able to flip a switch and turn this content off altogether and just play mm -hmm. the rest of the game, but not play this part. And not only is that like not really if you have ever read about or worked in or been tangential to game design, that's a very strange ask that shows that you don't understand how games work very well. <laughs> like just just flip the switch, turn Eric yeah. off, you know, <laughs> Eric eliminated. <laughs> The Eric turn off button. We all have them. All Eric's do. Um, but yeah, it's it, like, that's a weird thing. And then also this idea of like made to order stories in your video games. And there's, there's so many different aspects of this. The idea that someone can put their expectations of what they want out of a video game on something that somebody else has created. And it should cater to that specifically when that's literally impossible. It can never do that for every single player. And also the idea that the audience should control the, the way in which art is presented. I think there's a difference between, you know, having something that deals with touchy subjects like that and putting forth an adequate content warning and, running into a thing where it's like, no, I think that this shouldn't exist. So sh you should just take it out or give me the option to take it out. Yeah. I, it, it's, that's not the story they're trying to tell. And, and I, you know, at the end of the day, it's something that 
people need to be comfortable with saying, okay, this game isn't for me then. Like I, I don't want to play this game right now. If this is what this game is about. And, uh, mass effect three was kind of that where it's like, people were trying to say, no, this ending isn't the ending I wanted. And, you know, it's fun to fan theorize about things like the indoctrination theory and other just weird, uh, you know, what ifs and all that. But at the end of the day, like the mass effect three ending is the mass effect three ending. There are ups and downs. There are even concept versions they talk about in the video that I personally think would have been better and probably been better received. But at the end of the day, that's not what we got. And it then pinwheels into, there was such an outrage that EA capitulated and said, okay, we will do the extended cut. And that meant that those developers that just got done crunching on finishing mass effect three, then had to crunch an additional bunch of months just to quote unquote, fix the ending and give players what they wanted on yeah. top of the DLC that they were working on at the time too. Like that really set a precedent that I don't like very much to this day. Yeah. And it's, it's stood to this day. I feel like I see sentiments that are similar oh, to that. Time. Very, very, more very often. Much. I mean, Last of Us Part Two is another excellent example of people yeah. s- seeing something in a game they don't like or that makes, you know, does a thing that they are not happy about. And instead of just being like, oh, well, you know, I wasn't wild about that it is what it is, though. Like, that's the story uh, that they wanted to tell. And, you know, you have al- you have avenues for if you want to mm-hmm. do that, you can write fan fiction, fan you fiction. can create fan works. And and that was that's been the outlet for a long time. It's a yeah, good, forever. healthy outlet. And uh instead turning to this idea that the developers now have to answer for what they've done yeah. and deliver the thing that you wanted and all that it's i i don't like it we're, no, we're going no. back into like twitter is bad territory now <laughs> uh but yeah it's a fascinating video and like people make games ha- have been making excellent videos for a long time if you haven't been watching them uh this is your your call to action to go watch them because this is another in a long line of very good videos from them so go check them out And on that note, that is it for the news. It's time to move on to the next segment with our special guest, Wah. Yes, this is a Patreon-supported segment. We'll be talking about Ogre Battle. Don't go away. it's time for our second segment where we'll be talking about the ogre battle series and this is a patreon sponsored episode thank you so much to wa for supporting us at the 100 level that's amazing and as part of that tier wa gets to come on the show and talk about whatever topic they want to talk about and wa wanted to talk ogre battle so i'm gonna welcome wa right now hi wa how you doing hi everyone uh i'm glad to be here Ogre Battle, the saga is one of my favorite things of all time. If you can't guess it, by the way, I want to talk about it. So I'm um, very happy to be here. Very happy to be to hang out with you ladies and guy. Um, followed you guys for a long time. So this is pretty awesome. It's awesome to have you on. And it's a good topic. Uh, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fans with this one. Well, tell us a little bit about your history with RPGs. Oh, jeez. Uh, so... I got to say, I got sucked into RPGs back uh, with the original Dragon Warrior. Uh, turns Hell out yeah. Nintendo Power uh, did gave, gave you a little gateway drug by giving you a free game with your subscription. <laughs> hey, and, kid, uh, first it worked. 
I never actually <laughs> saved the princess because I didn't quite understand grinding back in the day. But uh, over the years, uh, you know, Final Fantasies, uh, obviously your Ogre Battles, some of your more niche games, uh, Baldur's Gate, uh, all sorts of stuff on PC, uh, all sorts of dungeon crawlers on the Vita. So I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, awesome. And I'm very happy to be talking about RPGs. Wah is an active part of the discourse. And, uh, sorry. Well, Wah is an active part of the Discord. You can go hang out in the Discord with all of us. It's a lot of fun. We talk about RPGs all day long. But Wah, what is your favorite RPG? I'm curious. Is it Tactics Ogre? I don't know if it's the absolute favorite, but it's probably one that I've played the most. Um, If I have to put an absolute favorite, if I can go back to 2000 and bottle up that fantasy star online kind of mm, feeling yeah and just just take that in a bottle and bring it with me to 2021 that would be my favorite um unfortunately sega net is kaput and that whole feeling is kaput so it doesn't quite follow but if i had to pick a single favorite moment it was definitely fantasy star online so right, do you um, play new genesis no um my my old man reflexes now <laughs> i basically play <laughs> I all turn-based stuff uh so yeah. yeah it is what it is occasionally i'll play like i play trials of mana um but i'm not very good at it anymore so i need turn-based i know how you feel playing metroid dread trying to mm-hmm. get some of those timings right on the parries it's it can be brutal yeah you got to keep your hand-eye coordination sharp that's why you do karate when i did karate they complimented my hand-eye coordination <laughs> Well, if you've ever been in the Discord, you know that Wa is one of the biggest proponents of the Ogre Battle series and waxed poetic about it for quite a while. I think maybe on our 300th episode, I think Wa uh, submitted a very long article, um, email, sorry, that we ended up reading on the show. And I'm curious, like, Wa, what is your um, history with this particular series? So I originally played Ogre Battle back in maybe 95, 96, fairly early on when it came out, I rented it from Blockbuster and I was entranced by the game. I thought it was great, uh, but I had a small problem. Uh, the game has really long stages. I mean, just stupidly long stages. Mm. Yes. And yes, when does. you're 15 and you live in a house of uh, women that yell at you for wasting power, you need to <laughs> throw something over your Super <laughs> Nintendo when you go to school yep. so that you have a chance to finish the stage when you get back. Uh, so there were many times I came back and my progress was reset and I had to do it all over again. Uh, um, <laughs> so brutal. that kind of got the ball rolling. Um, I eventually got Tactics uh, Ogre for the uh, PlayStation. Um, I found it in a bargain bin. I was like, oh, I didn't even know this was here oh, um, because lucky. the Super Famicom version never came over. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I played that, but I never beat it. Um, and then right before I got, uh, sent out to the desert, um, I got, um, Tactics Ogre Night of Lotus and that hooked mm-hmm. me and oh my gosh, I mm-hmm. love Night of Lotus and I will fight anybody that talks bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, funny. and then along the way there, I also picked up a copy of Ogre Battle 64. Um, I played through that. I beat Ogre Battle 64. Um, I let my cousins borrow my Nintendo 64 and they traded it in for Diddy Kong Racing. What? <gasps> oh my god. How does that even begin to make sense? <laughs> well, yeah. Diddy Kong they, Racing they, they didn't think it was a very good game. game. They wanted something more action-oriented, so somebody Shop got a great copy of Ogre Battle 64 for Diddy Kong wow. Racing. Wow. Yeah. Did you, like, 
flay them and put them on the <laughs> nail their skins as a warning to other people because <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, I was upset, but I didn't tell them not to. So, you know, they liberated uh, me, as the game would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the history of the Ogre Battle series. Uh, so basically, it's a series of tactics RPGs created by Yasumi Matsuno and Team Matsuno. It has worked on many games, most notably Final Fantasy XII and Final Fantasy Tactics. And it features art by the artist Akihiko Yoshida. And the thing that I love about this and the reason that we were singing Bohemian Rhapsody was that apparently it was inspired by two things. One was the Yugoslavian Wars back in the 90s, which also inspired Street Fighter the movie. The 90s were a weird Oh, time. God. But also, uh, they're all subtitled after Queen songs. Yeah. So Only, only some of them. Only the ones, uh, yeah. only the, the early ones. But yeah, I love that. So let us can cling together. Uh, March of the Black Queen. Even Ogre Battle are mm-hmm. all, all all about Queen. And I just have to say, once again, retro games are very special. And I absolutely love that they just were able to, you know, transparently pull these song titles to form a brand new franchise. Mm-hmm. Bob, were you aware of these connections? And does it change your outlook on the series at all? <laughs> I would hope not. Queen Rock. Does no, it inspire no, no. it? It just makes me sad that Freddie Mercury isn't a secret character you can unlock and, you know, crush oh, people with. That would have been great. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Oh, my God. Bisexual power beam. Right? I mean, just, you know, yeah. a guy, you know, mesh shirt, tight pants, you know, sword. Let's just go. He makes you sing Bohemian Rhapsody. He starts and then you can't stop. And all the <laughs> monsters join in and they explode at the end. There's your move. So some of the common things that you'll see in these games, so... I mean, the interesting thing is uh, Tactics Ogre is more of a turn-based tactics game. It's much closer to the Final Fantasy tactics that we all know. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. March of the Black Queen and whatnot, Ogre Battle 64, are more of a real-time kind of situation. And so it's kind of a, a different feel between the two. But the thing that unites them, certainly, um, first of all, tons of political intrigue, uh, characters backstabbing one another, uh, fraught moral questions, People being good suddenly turning out to be quite evil. Uh, there's a lot going on here. It's very, sorry to say this, Game of Thronesy or what Game of Thrones wanted to be or how we imagine Game of Thrones to be. Also, mm. there are a lot of branching paths throughout the Ogre Battle game. So if you like making hard choices, then boy, do we have games for you. <laughs> and also, oh, they're really into tarot. Tarot is a constant theme that kind of goes on through all of these games. Do we miss anything, Wa? Um. The one thing I would say, I, didn't think he, I don't think he missed it, but the one thing that really intrigues me about the system and uh, their branching paths is that what you think is the right choice doesn't always mm-hmm. translate, uh, especially mm-hmm. so with the Tactics Ogre, uh, uh, the one for uh, Let Us Cling Together. It, it You get a choice, choice very early on and you think, boy, I can't do this. And it turns out, no, that's the choice, the wrong choice. You know, you're posed to you're posed to do the horrible thing because you're following orders, and then you you become better. But yeah, no, you, you have some eye opening experiences for sure. I like games that don't make it like very obvious you're taking the right choice. Just like, oh, this is the right choice. No, it's not. The only game I could think of that really did that to me was King of Dragon Pass, which uh, was a more of a story based RPG, but. Yeah, it really went got in depth into the the moral choices, and you thought you were doing good, but uh, most of the time you're just killing a baby somewhere by accident. It's that idea of like you have branching paths, and it's not just 
are you the good character or the evil character, mm-hmm. the paragon or the renegade? But this idea that people just make choices and things happen. And yeah, in a vacuum, they can be good or evil. But yeah. in the broader sense, like you are just creating a character and creating a storyline. And like, that's one of the cooler things about these games has always drawn me to them and made me want to play them is that they seem to have a much I don't want to like just cheaply say mature, but like they 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 look at decisions in not just very like binary ways, but having these interesting branching paths that let let your party feel more like a character and, and less like you're kind of just choosing that blue paragon red renegade idea. Makes me think of when we were doing our Disco Elysium episode mm-hmm. and whenever I was playing it and I would be going through <laughs> Kuno, we would be going through the dialogue tree and you're like going, okay, yeah, we're just having a conversation. Yes. What, what am I saying? Oh my God, I'm becoming <laughs> a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Abort, abort, abort. <laughs> because there's so many video games where you're like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And it's yeah. the best video games that force you into a situation where you, you're going to make somebody mad. Like sometimes... There are just if you just try and thread the needle and make everybody happy, that that's not a good outcome mm. necessarily. No, so no. the thing that's interesting about the Ogre Battle series is these are games, the 16-bit Nintendo 64 games, that were surprisingly complex in terms of their storytelling. Maybe more Very. complex than almost any kind of game from that particular era. I would say that they were definitely on the level of like the contemporary Black Isle games that were coming out around the same time. You did not see that very often with console RPGs. Uh, Matsuno was definitely working on a different level with a lot of these games. It's just a shame that uh, he was trying to get there with Final Fantasy XII, and he couldn't quite do it <laughs> because he horribly burned out. But that's an entirely different story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Ogre Battle series started in 1993 on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, and if correct me if I'm wrong, well, I believe it actually came out here, but it was very, very rare and practically impossible to get. It was. I mean, they, they made like a stupid amount of like copies, like on the low end. Uh, I, I want to say I remember reading 25,000 altogether, something like that. I mean, it was something like ridiculously low. Um, That's terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to be fair, nobody really knew what to expect out of it. Um, it wasn't marketed well. Uh I believe, as you girls have said, uh, it, it just wasn't thought out. It, it's almost like one of those uh, bad uh, video game covers from the eight bit days, you know, like Mega Man, where it's like, you know, <laughs> yes. yeah, this is this is nowhere near what the actual game is, but somebody in marketing thought it was cool. I actually dug up an old ad for uh, Ogre Battle, and uh, it's on our, our our notes if you want to check it out. But when I was looking at it, I'm thinking to myself, what is this game? Because this ad is not telling me. All it's telling me is, like, it's an RPG, which it is, of course, but it's a different kind of RPG. I'm going in there thinking, oh, Final Fantasy VI. No, it's not like that at all. But it, in the in the ad, it makes a comparison to Final Fantasy VI, saying that it's like its graphics are better or something like that, which is, well, debatable. But yes, the battle scenes look fantastic. So you have this game. You're calling it an RPG, just pure RPG. You're comparing it to Final Fantasy III, and you're going to end up with people who thinking oh okay new final fantasy type game and they find something completely different and to be honest that's what turned me off a little bit to the game when i was younger yeah i remember when ogre battle was being advertised in nintendo power and i was like ogre battle that's a weird name (laughs) you didn't listen to queen and that was about uh that was about the only thing that i thought i was like are there ogres in it i don't know but i guess the name was memorable enough that it stuck in Mm -hmm. my head over all of the years yeah it's a great name don't change it 
it, it felt like a weird little hidden gem that I would see pop up on GameFAQs all the time because ah, I would yes. be I would be trawling it back in the days of like Fire Emblem Path of Radiance and stuff like that. And people would always be talking about, oh, if you want real turn based strategy, try out Tactics Ogre. And like if you want real good RPG, go to Ogre Battle. It was like go this. To the, go to the back alley. The good stuff's right it there. It was. It was like They'll you had to go you up, find someone. Stuff. There was there's like <laughs> a back cut. door, the video rental place where you had to be like, you got any Ogre? <laughs> <laughs> that's a street name ogre <laughs> and, and that's been like it's a lure for me ever since is i keep you know every time i'm like okay i should go back and play an old game i will try and take on an ogre game and then i'll start playing it and i'll be like oh this is very complex and involved and and challenging too they're they're a bit more challenging than your yeah. average fire emblem mm-hmm. or tactics game i would say and uh it's always very daunting but it's one that I, I swear I will get further than a few hours into one of these days. <laughs> admission here, cruel admission. I've never actually beaten March of the Black Queen. I always get <gasps> about oh my God. 15, ma- 15, 16 maps in. I know what mm-hmm. happens. I, I know about all the endings. And all, but it's just something where the game just, it, it becomes, it needs quality of life improvements. It very much right. needs quality yes, of life it improvements. Um, it drags mm-hmm. in it's kind of in that vein of, well, if I'm going to spend $80 on this one game, I'm going to get $80 out of it because I have nothing else and I can't afford anything else as a teenager. Yes. But now as <laughs> yes, an adult, I'm like, uh, dude, I, you know, I could be doing so much more right now. I, I don't want to do this. So, uh, yeah, right around about 15, 16 maps in, I always flame out. I've tried several times yeah. over the years. I love the game. I, it just, it needs a quality of life improvement to the battle system. Uh, to at least speed it up or, uh, lower the number of battles to beat a map. Remake, remake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even if it doesn't get a remake, I feel like there's already signs that a lot of developers like Ogre Battle because the more I look at stuff like Project Triangle Strategy and people are like, oh, it's a new FF Tactics. I'm like, no, it's kind of a new Tactics Ogre. <laughs> like yeah, I'm getting yeah, absolutely. those vibes from it way more than anything else. So. If nothing I'm so else, happy it certainly that game has exists. Influence. Oh my god, it's so pretty. Cannot it's wait so, to play it. And it's doing that same thing where it's much more politics focused. It's much more yes. like make a decision based on your beliefs and ideologies versus good or evil. And yeah, it's like Octopath yeah. Traveler, but good. <laughs> Octopath tra- don't even start with Octopath Traveler is amazing. I love it. Stupid game oh. so much. <laughs> I'm doing the evil cat. With Stop the people doing evil ye- cat. I'm doing the evil cat with the people yelling at me. I'm gonna be evil wah then. Uh if we're <laughs> I promised the guys on the Discord I was gonna bring up Final Fantasy 13. And this is actually topical yo, this time. Yo, yeah, uh, yeah. I am convinced that the Final Fantasy 13 battle system would be a good fit for a tactics over remake. The, the, that mm-hmm. whole system, the whole you don't control an actual character, you kind of like set like a team mm-hmm. uh idea and you kind of like influence the battle without actually directly controlling it. I am convinced it would work for an Ogre Battle game. And Square, even though I know you're not listening because you haven't listened to us for years, please, 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 please do this. Please. <laughs> I think a couple of reps listen to our show. Okay, so. then please do this. <laughs> this, this is your there you shot. go. There's your in. Final Fantasy 13 ahead of its time in many ways. Let, let me just say for the record, look, yes, the, the hallway setup of the game was not great, but the the battle system, the music, oh, there's so much there to love, and we need oh, more systems like that. Yeah. I think Final Fantasy 13 is underrated, and I would not be upset 
Uh, it sort of feels like it's the last game to be of a time from mm. Final Fantasy, maybe. Like, yeah. And after right. that, we started getting Final Fantasy 15, Final Fantasy 16, and I'm like, bring back that kind of more strategic system. I don't want another freaking action game. Come on. Dungeon but encounters. Also, while you yeah. had the you had a take about vanille, and I think I I, off, I welcome you <laughs> to share it here on the show. Oh, I, I just I, I love vanille. I think uh I think she's he's my um, dumb son, right? He's my dumb daughter. <laughs> my dumb son. Yeah, but the I, trope, the trope, right? It, it works right. for women too. <laughs> One of my best friends actually said that she and her partner are basically vanille and fang. And That's I'm like, cute. Fang's you know amazing. What? I could see it. Yeah, that is a dynamic, she, yeah. Yeah, so she was like, yeah, I'm Vanille, she's Fang. And when That's I look adorable. at the two of them, I'm like, yeah, no, fair point. Yeah, you definitely uh, fall into that kind of category. So mm-hmm. but just best power couple in Final Fantasy, in my opinion. <laughs> no, look, the best thing about Vanille, especially early on in the game, is like stuff will go wrong and she's like, I'm out. <laughs> but that's just like I'm gonna go figure out what's wrong here, and she's like, "Nah, I'm, I'm not about that nah, life." Nah, nah. <laughs> you have fun with that. I got a life to live. Exactly. So that that's that's why I love her. That's why I think she's great. <laughs> well, in 1995, we get Tactics Ogre, which is quite a bit closer to the tactics games that we know, and it led directly to Final Fantasy Tactics. It was a real trailblazer in many ways, and we actually listed it as one of our top 25 RPGs of all time because as much as we love the, you know, crazy insanity of Final Fantasy Tactics with all of its character classes and all of that and its mix and match gameplay, Tactics Ogre is a more complete experience, especially on the PSP, ultimately. Certainly better localized. So um, if I were to pick between the two, and please don't make me choose between my children, Tactics Ogre is maybe the one. In 1999, we got Ogre Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber. I played that one for the first time when it came out on the Wii. I had no idea what to make of it, but it was awesome to be able to have it. And that was episode six of the Ogre Battle Saga because everything has to be multiple episodes. And that was the one that brought back real time. And then I didn't know this. We got an Ogre Battle Legend of the Zenobia Prince on Neo Geo Pocket Color yeah. in 2000. That looks really cute. The spinoff of the original Ogre Battle game. We got a lot of very cute games on Neo Geo Pocket. Also, are, yeah. Nadia had to, of course, spell color in the Canadian way because that's what I, I rebel in a small ways, Kat. That's the way I get by. That's what I get for letting you write the notes. <laughs> well, I mean, you missed the part where I said, like, uh, Tactics Ogre was rated by the greatest RPG of all time by two bozos or something like that. I just kind of t- totally tore us down for some reason. And Tactics Ogre, The Night of Lotus in GBA 2001, a prequel to the first Ogre battle in the last game made outside of Tactics Ogre's remake. It's also turn-based, sold quite well, did well commercially too, but Quest was gobbled up with the Square Enix merger and the team was set to work on Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Of course, Final Fantasy Tactics has always been considered a spiritual successor and companion piece to Tactics Ogre. Too bad Square isn't doing piss all with that property either. Heartbreaking, but we'll get triangle What's strategy. Mm-hmm. And why you really like Knights of Lotus? That's like one of your favorites. It is. Um, I think Knight of Lotus is the rare game that makes all the other games before it better. And I say this because it, it it takes a character who in 
uh, let us cling together, uh, Lancelot Tartaros. And he's a, I mean, he's, he's a kind of conflicted character, but he's nothing special. I mean, he's your standard bad guy, but it takes that character and he makes him into what George Lucas always thought that he was doing with the prequels. <laughs> he, yes. he always thought yes. he was making Anakin relatable and, and a tragic figure, but they actually pull it off in Night of Lotus. It is so good. And I, I take offense to the, uh, the Kotaku take of saying, oh, well, this is the ending that redeemed Night of Lotus. No, Night of Lotus made everything else better. Yeah, uh, so, like reading the reviews and stuff sounded, it sounded pretty great. So, I, I mean, we're going major spoilers here. So if, if you care about spoilers for a, I don't know, 20-year-old game at this point, turn off <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the long story short, so um, Lancelot's named Alphonse, and he goes to an island. He gets separated from his landing party. He goes off on his own. He learns about the island. He's rescued by a lady named Eleanor. Eleanor kind of takes care of him, that cottage on the beach trope, whatever, you know. Oh, yeah. I love yeah, that. So trope. that goes on. And eventually he meets back up with his landing party. He's like, no, I need to understand what's happening in this realm for my own. I can't just take your word for it. So he goes off and, you know, shenanigans happen. Backstabbing is, is typical with the franchise. But at the end, the final boss is a fallen angel um, who is totally not Lucifer. He's really called Cher. <laughs> oh, Cher. Wait, yeah, Cher. Cher? Like the music no, not, not, Cher. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, but like S H A. Uh, H-E-R, Sheher, or something like that. Um, oh, it sounds like Hebrew, really. It, it, yeah. it, it wouldn't surprise me. There's a lot of mix between that religious, because the spear that you'd beat him with is, uh, oh gosh, don't make me say it. The one that uh, they stabbed Jesus with, Long... Uh, oh, Lance of, La- yes. Lance Longinus. Yes. So that's the weapon you need to beat the final boss, and if you don't have it, then you can't okay. break his shield, and then he, he wins. So, from there, you beat him, and the best ending... It's weird because the best ending sees your love interest say, I'm going to save you all. Uh, Fallen angel, you won't be by yourself anymore. I will stay with you in eternity. And she sacrifices herself for everybody in the whole island. And then you go on and then you meet, you know, the, the, the high priest of Lotus. And he dubs you Lancelot Tartarus. And then you go on to then go be a bad guy. And it's kind of understandable because, I mean, here he is. He's thinking he's saving everything. He's saving everybody. And he has to give up the love of his life to then, I mean, for what? I mean, she, she you know, it's not fair to him. So yeah. I can see where he becomes very, very jaded. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. And that's why Night of Lotus is so, so good. You heard it here. Go play Night of Lotus if you can. The GBA games are very expensive these days, unfortunately. Yeah, it's the hottest uh, collection trend right now. Yeah, and you don't uh, want to play it on the GBA anyway. Um, it's it, it, the problem with Night of Lotus, and what makes it hard to play is the slowdown. Uh, it it slows down, and it's um, already a slow game to begin with. Oof, so, you no, know, thank you. Yeah, y- you want to have it a little bit sped up. You know, if you can get it going two uh, two times the speed the whole way through, you're great. I don't know how you'd even begin to do that. You know, we can't. I can't fathom how one would possibly do that on this. No, podcast. you might have to try something that rhymes with emulation. Mm-hmm. I like your comparison with the Star Wars prequels because if the one if there was one element in which the Star Wars prequels utterly failed, it was showing how Anakin Skywalker oh, fell from grace. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the central point of the Star Wars prequels was to get Anakin from cute little moppet of a kid to the Dark Lord. And it just couldn't figure out how to pull off the transition in Revenge of the Sith. We needed 
the entire Clone Wars cartoon series, plus lots of other ancillary material to make it finally <laughs> land. And even then, Revenge of the Sith is bad. I stand by that take forever. Sorry, kids who grew no. up with the Star Wars prequels. I kind of like Sith. I hated, uh, what was the second one? Attack of the oh, Clones. Oh, Attack that of the Clones was, is the worst Star Wars That movie. was a good example of how badly no. they fudged it up. Episode because... 9, Eric. Episode 9 is one of the worst movies I've That's ever watched. That's not a Star Wars movie. That's just a travesty, all right? I'm <laughs> I'm taking that out of the equation, all right? Like, okay, episode okay. 2, I will at least be like, yeah, it's a Star Wars movie. Episode I 9. I acknowledge this exists. No. <laughs> episode 9 is like stricken from history. Yes, yes. God for the best. It's the but, Star Trek V versus Star Trek Into Darkness conundrum then. So Star Trek V is a bad Star Trek movie. Star Trek Into Darkness is actual like blasphemy. But Revenge of the Sith gets by on at least being like prime meme fodder. Like, oh, yeah. There's, oh, yeah. There's, Perfect. Like, it's a meme fodder. Two couldn't even be like ironically funny. Like three at least you have all the stuff like you can't win here, Anakin. I have the high ground and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's memeing episode nine because that movie no. was bad. But episode nine I, didn't happen. It's speaking of not prequel there. memes. Speaking of prequel memes, there was a good one. The Padme Anakin meme, where Padme says, "Hey Anakin, let's go see Dune," and Anakin goes, "The movie about sand," and then Anna, Padme <laughs> just looking at him. The movie about sand. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite offensive to him i mean but oh. but dune's a good example of the same thing though where where that gets played off well i mean if you haven't read or watched dune yet yeah i won't spoil it but like th- i think that plays out the idea of how does a character end up making bad decisions for good reasons and it does that better than i think what we saw there and it sounds like knight of lotus does the same thing which is how does a character with the right intentions end up still going down the wrong path whenever somebody starts talking about the sacrifices that they're making for the greater good maybe run away yeah all for (laughs) the greater good the greater good they've lost have a plan arthur (laughs) arthur tahiti arthur (laughs) so in knight of lotus the, the 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 way that that kind of plays out like i said is uh she makes a sacrifice but that's the mm-hmm. good ending that one of the mm-hmm. worst endings that you get is the one where you're actually happy because you and your love interests go off and you say you know what i'm not dealing with war anymore and you go off in the mountains to go live the rest of your life and nobody ever hears from you again maybe mm-hmm. you live happy maybe you got slaughtered by who knows what but that's that's the whole point is that it's it's so interesting that this guy is just supposed to be denied happiness and that's why he becomes who he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, I always liked endings that do that, that give you the option of just run away. No one's going to judge you for it. Like Mm -hmm. cave story had a great version of Mm -hmm. that where it's like, Hey, uh, I have a dragon. You want to fly out of here? Yeah. This sounds pretty okay. And they fly away quote. And one of the other main characters, and they live in the mountains and they let the world go to ruin (laughs) because it's attacked by savage bunnies. Well, it's it's Sir Gawain in the Green Knight, right? It's this idea of do you want to be selfish and have the things that you want to have to the detriment of who you are as a person and, and the people around you? Or are you willing to give up a piece of yourself for the greater good and have that honor? The greater of good. It, yeah. Greater good. Well, and it also like <laughs> interrogates the idea of what chivalry is and what a knight is, because, you know, in this good ending of Tactics Ogre, he does the right choice but it's terrible for him. And there's, there's like kind of an ironic bittersweet note to that, that like these, these people have to give of themselves to make it better for the people around them. And is that a good thing that they have to give of themselves? I mean, 
hey, this is a cool series that you can get into stuff like this out of, you know, a tactics game. Not a lot of RPGs, or I shouldn't say not a lot of RPGs, but not your average run-of-the-mill RPG can get this kind of stuff going. Yeah, yeah. You wanted to talk about, quote, how much absolute bonkers content is hidden behind a nigh-impenetrable wall in the post-game of Tactics Ogre. I want to hear about this. Oh, boy. I mean, that's... <laughs> We've got quite a bit to go over, and I got to be quick about it. Uh, so, first off, um, Night of—I mean, not Night of Lotus. I'm sorry. Uh, Let us clean together. Uh, the the remake. It has the uh, the 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 world system where you can go back in time and you can do all the different endings or different routes. So you can do lawful, neutral, chaotic. You can go back and forth, pick up characters you couldn't normally get, just see all of the timelines with your leveled up characters instead of starting over from the beginning, which is really cool. Mm. Um, It also adds a uh, Pirate's Graveyard side quest, which adds a new character, Azelstein, who is amazing. Um, He's basically a pirate with extreme PTSD, and they play it up like really well. Um, I unfortunately have several friends who've kind of thrown yeah. their lives away like that, and it is it is dead on. Where he just he just makes bad decision after bad decision, and he mm-hmm. just becomes so emotional over the the weirdest things. And then he has to see it's, it's so good. But on top of mm-hmm. all that, they then have like pixel art. I mean, just beautiful pixel art that you see only once. It's just like mm-hmm. a throwaway yes. part. And I mean, that's just I love all that. throughout the post game of just this love of, hey, we get what we know is probably our last chance to ever do this series again. We are going uh. to go hard. So that brings us now to the actual post game, which um, it's extremely hard your first time through to get to in less than 150 hours. Um, mm. <laughs> and, I mean, who's really putting 150 hours into a game other than you know your crazy people like me? Um, but <laughs> like us. <laughs> but so you you get to the very you get to that part. You have to then play through the uh, game as lawful. Certain people have to be alive. So uh, your main characters, Vice, uh, Denim, and Catua, uh, they have to all be alive. So does Warren and Canopus and a few other guys. Um, so then you get to go on what's called the Coda which is, uh, this was DLC for Japan. Um, Mm. and it was released after say, I forget exactly a few months after. Um, so it wasn't supposed to be done immediately after like we have it, but it is. So they go and, um, long story short, you've got to run through the palace of dead again. Um, and it's got an extra 15 floors on it. Um, and then you fight, uh, King Roderick, who is really mm. pissed and has the absolute hardest, hardest battle of all time. It's it, the whole scene is so good. Uh, just, just denim comes in. He's like, uh, is that you Warren? And he's like, Oh, I'm going to use blue Brunhilder and I'm going to let this uh, guy out of the chaos gate. And then Warren shows up. It's like, you idiot. What did you do? And then he just comes out of nowhere as a demon. He's like, there are, uh, I have to, uh, pay vengeance upon you all or something. It's an amazing line. That's a, uh, that's a real gravity falls. Uh, uh, sort of vibe exactly right there. <laughs> exactly so they do that and then th- that gives you the absolute hardest fight in the entire game um you've got your doppelgangers but you f- it's like a long winding path up to it it's super hard um not very fun but it- it's worth it because then codas three and four which are the final chapters are like nothing but fan service as far in but fan service in a good way not as yeah. in like you know i'm an anime and here yeah uh, <laughs> 
everybody has their boobies exposed. Exactly. No, that's my kind of fan service. But like, this is like <laughs> fan service to anybody that's played through the other games. So uh, you get to save uh, Lancelot Hamilton, um, who is the other knight, um, which is a big deal from the first one. You get to save Warren. And then the best part is at the very end of Coda 4. And it takes this sort of like chrono trigger type um, view of time travel and says, let's not worry mm. about what's right or proper. Let's worry about what's cool. And then <laughs> the, cool. The, yes. the main characters say, I'm going to go back to when this first started. We're going to prevent this all from happening. So they go back to like the right before when uh, Lancelot Tartaros, uh, the bad guy, he invades the islands. And so you go through a series of fights and they're like, no, we didn't go back far enough. And you get the inception boong going, you know, boong, you know, we got to go back farther. <laughs> uh, but then at the very end, you, uh, you fight Lancelot and you beat him and presumably you stop everything from happening. But as an Easter egg, the game goes even further. And again, it's just, a, it's oh just my God. a massive love that is again, hidden behind at this point, 300, 400 hours of content. Um, if you beat, Lancelot in the final level with just Denim, Vice, and Catua, you get a special scene where you actually mm -hmm. get to kill him and you get his sword. And then when you get a sword, you realize that the sword is made from the wing of a fallen angel. Holy shit. Oh, wow. So, and he's got, and he's also his special move, which makes you lose a heart, is called Apocalypse, which is also the same move that the final boss of tactics ogre knight of lotus uses and i'm like huh oh my god so he's like he's just taking on all this power and now you're beating a guy that beat a fallen angel and i'm like this mm. is amazing this is so cool no wonder i'm having a hard time doing this <laughs> <laughs> right. that's cool though that's like a it's a neat way to wrap that series around too and like really pay homage yeah, to yeah. all that they've done before it yes with that kind of depth behind that kind of huge wall, like you're, it really, as you said, just demonstrates how much love there was for this mm -hmm. series and how, you know, between that and the actual, actually respecting the player's, you know, intelligence by giving them actual interesting questions and conundrums to, to go through instead of just the usual A, yes, B, no sort of thing. Like you mm -hmm. can tell that there was a lot of love in, in just the Ogre series in general. And it's really kind of a shame that it's just uh, doing whatever. Yeah, I'm not bitter at yeah. all that the very the last um, unique scene in uh, the remake says the ogre battle saga will continue. I'm not. Oh. oh no. Oh no. Yes. Tony Stark will return. Keep your, keep your heart alive because <laughs> maybe it will actually come back. You know what? They brought back act razor and they did a good job with it. So at this point, if they can bring back act razor, they can bring back anything. Yeah. With, no. With three houses and triangle strategy. I think SRPG remake is could be popular. Yeah. Tactics RPGs are popular again. Now where's our back, new baby. Final Fantasy Tactics? <laughs> Final Fantasy Tic Tacs. Come on. Come on. <laughs> also, I want y'all to listen to the way y'all Wa talks about Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre. That is love. Mm -hmm. That is that love is deep, for this deep series. love that I appreciate very much. The Blood God is pleased. Blood God is very happy with all this. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, and then one more thing, too, um, before uh, we get off the endings part, the other thing I love about the series is how the worst endings aren't just, oh, I was a bad guy and did bad things. No, you have to work for that. And for mm -hmm. especially for <laughs> Ogre Battle uh, and um, and even um, the two Ogre Battle games. So for Ogre Battle 64, which we haven't talked about very much. Sorry, Ogre Battle 64 fans um, <laughs> and the original Ogre Battle <laughs> 
in order to get the best endings, you I mean, the worst endings, you've got to be good. You've got to be really good for a while and then say, you know what? I want to be bad. And then <laughs> so you ever want to go ape shit. That was the fun of the tactics ogre system where you could just go back to any part of the, the timeline and just enact uh, mm-hmm. your choices and see how choices would have played out. Like, I think more games should do that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you, you take you take the holy sword that you have to be super good for and you beat a demon boss and he says, hey, I really like that holy sword. I'll make a deal with you. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, why not? Infinite power? Great. Give him the sword. And then like at the ending, he's like, oh, about that deal. You thought you were going to get away and he kills you. And then like the uh, the ending's like, uh, nobody has ever seen such bloodshed for 10,000 years. I mean, it's like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> I didn't just ruin the kingdom. I, I mean, wow, 10,000 years is a long time. I got it. That's, that's, a, that's a long time. It's a bit of a chunk of time right there. Historians so, regard it as largely a bad move. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and then in Ogre Battle 64, to get the worst, well, maybe not worst ending, because it doesn't have as many endings, but if you go about it the wrong way, you then get to fight the good guys from Ogre Battle uh, who have oh. come to help oh, you cool. fight in your fight. And they like, Gasp. they chastise you. And they're like, hey, by the way, you can't just win by might alone. And you're like, no, I'm going to keep doing that. And they're like, nope. <laughs> nope. But what about the power of friendship? <laughs> I'm going to keep winning by might alone. Thank you. Uh-huh. So, I mean, they, they just lecture the crap out of you. And then if you lose to them in the very fa- final battle, to show how good they are, they're like, hey, you know, you're not done yet. We're not going to kill you. You need to learn that might alone can't rule. And then, you know, they take you in and, it, it, you know, the ending's like, oh, well, you know, he became a great warrior and he learned the, the better ways, but you still are forgotten to history. But, you know, th- there's some redemption there. You got like, some redemption there. They, mm-hmm. they hit you with newspapers and you learn a lesson. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you beat them, then, well, everybody just, yeah, yeah, it doesn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> Bloodshed, 10,000 years, etc. We are starting to run out of time. But why? Uh-huh. Take us home. Final thoughts on the uh, Ogre Battle series. Um, all right. So if I've got to go with just one last thing to talk about, it's uh, it's of a course. dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. Kyoko, yes. uh, Kyoko Kirahara, um, and I'm sorry for butchering their name, uh, is the lifeblood of this this saga, and they're unheralded. Uh, everybody talks about Matsuno and uh, the other um, other developers, um, the sound, the music but nobody ever mentions how good the dialogue is. It's nowhere more right. apparent than the the remake. But uh, Kitahara also worked on Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and several other uh-huh. games where, you know, they did some amazing work with just not a lot of space to make some dialogue. And then the, the yes. localization team, you know, worked with that and they make something great out of it. Um, I'd love to see the game series continue. I hope when, when Triangle Strategy comes out, they take a cue from that and they take down some of the uh, the long-winded um, rants by some of the characters because that was the one thing that threw me off in the demo mm-hmm. is that they just talk forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I hope they learn from that um, and I just hope that we get more games either in the saga or some sort of spiritual successor. Yeah, so say we all. You know what? Maybe someday because <laughs> Tactics Ogre and Ogre Battle, they still have a 
small and dedicated fan base. And if we've learned anything, as Nadia was pointing out with ActRaiser, being a small, having a small and dedicated fan base can be enough because even no matter how can. niche it is, if it's going to be guaranteed sales, they'll do a remake. Mm-hmm. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. Last thing. I swear. I swear. Oh, I know we're oh wrong. I know. Oh boy. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wait. All, um, the last thing I had in my notes here is that all roads lead back to Rashidi. Uh, so even at the end of Ogre Battle 64, he there's a uh, ending and the bad ending where the uh, a baby comes out of a, a dead uh, lady and it's like this is Sweet. the fourth time I've been reincarnated. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's Rashidi. He's still there and he's still the big bad. You kill him in Ogre Battle. He shows up reincarnated in Tactics Ogre. Uh, let us clean together, and he joins your party. And if you don't know, you know, the, the read between the lines, you don't realize you have like the super bad right next to you in your party. Uh, and he's so bad, it's so awesome. And I, I hope we find out what happens to him. Also, Nadia would be really happy that Final Fantasy 14 did get some sort of continuation of the Ogre Battle with Nybeth showing up. Nybeth is from yes. the Palace of the Dead, so you know, he made it there at least. There's still something, but yeah. Okay. Nybeth, Palace of the Dead. I don't know if I've done Palace of the Dead. I know that, uh, is that the one with Edda Goodheart? Pure Heart? I, I don't know. I haven't played uh... Final Fantasy XIV, unfortunately. Oh, okay. But I, I do know that the that I have been told that if you want a sequel to Final Fantasy Tactics, it's in Final Fantasy XIV's raid. So uh, that's all you're getting for now, guys. Da, 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 da. Final Fantasy XIV is the sequel to all of the games that we ever wanted. Just Pretty much. Play... Play up to the Hedwinsward expansion with the free content pass. And also oh, listen to Charlie to- and go listen to Charlie and Dropouts, which just recently came out. Is it yeah, you should. Available? Currently available to our patrons will be available on the free feed coming up this week. That's Nadia's Final Fantasy XIV post- podcast with Victor Hunter and Mike Williams. But wow, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed getting to listen to you geek out about Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre. And we hope that you'll stick around in the Discord and everywhere so that we can, we can keep spreading the love. But uh, where can we find you on social media and elsewhere? Um, I don't really have a huge social media presence. I do have a Let's Play that's finishing up um, where I Ooh. go through the post-game in um, extreme detail. Uh, it's on Beautiful. Something Awful. Uh, yes, Something Awful still exists. Some, I'm still a terrible person, but it is there. Um, no, no, they still it, have, they have the LP club, right? It's fantastic. Yeah. 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 So yeah. whenever I, I, I finish it up. It'll go on the uh, the LARP uh, Let's Play archive where you can go there without having to go through something awful and feeling icky sometimes. Um, other than oh, that, right uh, on. yeah, that's about it. Well, as we were discussing earlier, being on Twitter does actually make you a bad person. So it's for the best that you're not as much on social media. I was discoursing earlier. It's terrible. But as for us, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at Simusi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. If you enjoy the show, go check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where you can get all kinds of bonus content. And if you're at the $50 level, you can contribute an idea for a show. And if you're at the $100 level, you get to be on the show like Wah here and talk about whatever the heck you want within reason. But (laughs) Wah, thank you so much again for coming on the show. It was a blast. And thank you guys. I I appreciate being here and I appreciate the chance, guys. Keep doing great work. We'll be back next time, as always. But until then, for Nadia, Eric, Wa, and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventure.
Kashka's discoursing again. No. Uh, somebody, y- yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>